Welcome back to QAV, Tony Kynaston. Um, I think this is uh, season three, episode 19, according to my notes. Wow, it goes quick, doesn't it? <laughs> 19. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how are you, mate? Good. Yeah, had a good weekend. Thank you. Nice week. Uh, caught up with my sister for dinner on Friday night. She's back in Sydney, which was nice. And had dinner with some other friends on Saturday. Now we can go around and visit people and play golf on Sunday. So, yeah, it was nice and busy. Life is getting back to normal, huh? It is, yeah. Yes. Um, I'm a little bit, I've been a little bit worried about you in the last week. You've been <laughs> um, working on, you know, sending me daily updates and emails, QAV stuff. I feel like you're working too hard. And uh, I was, as, as you know, I had lunch at Stephen Mab's house where Chrissy and I were invited to lunch. Very nice lunch at Stephen Mab's house on Saturday. Got to meet his family and we had a lovely chat. But I did say to him, I'm a little bit worried about Tony. Like he's working way too hard on this stuff. And I'm, he said, yeah, you don't want him to burn out, man. Like uh, <laughs> that would be a disaster for all of us. Got to take it easy on Tony. What's, what's going on, Tony? Why have you been working so hard on the QAV stuff the last week? Well, I've been really motivated to try and automate it as much as possible. So that's the main reason. Um, just trying to get the download into the spreadsheet as automatic as possible. I don't think it'll ever be completely automated as a spreadsheet, but we might be able to get the algorithms tight and give them to a coder who could do something about that. Uh, but, but yeah, that's why. So been uh, automating that. And as I've been downloading watch lists and testing things, I've been you know picking up on uh, some new three-point trend line breaks and some companies which are close. So I've been adding them to price alerts and stock doctor. And just, I decided to send all this stuff through to you so you can put it into a journal. So if anybody ever wants to go back and read it, they can sort of see how I operate, which they might pick up something from that, which they're not picking up from the podcast. See, my theory was now that Jenny's home, <laughs> you are trying to look busy. She's yeah. like, what do you do all day? You just sit here and drink Negronis. What, what, what the hell is going on here? And you're yeah. like, oh, no, I'm really busy. Look, I'm all the stuff for Cam, for QAV. Yeah, I have to She's sit up straight you. now. Sit up straight. Yeah. Sit on my desk every day. <laughs> you've, got a, you've got a your own inbuilt CEO in the house. Exactly. Uh, you're doing like daily reports, uh, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I feel like it's sometimes, right, because she takes over the printer. Can you just download this drive onto my network so it works? Yeah. Can you back up my computer for me? <laughs> <laughs> you're the IT guy. You did do a degree in IT. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm the see, IT guy. You always come in handy. I'm also the secretary, I think, too, sometimes. <laughs> um, all right. Now, uh, I've got a couple of things I want to start with before we get into listener questions for the day. The first thing is you sent me an email last week about our dummy portfolio and how the balance and the comparison with the uh, all odds on the front page of it is different from the monthly summaries. And I've been aware of this and not sure what to do about it for some time. So when I started the dummy portfolio last year, when we started buying stocks for it, and I'm, I was a complete dummy, which is why it's called the dummy portfolio. If people ever wondered about that, it's because I'm a complete dummy. I just thought, well, I need to keep track of how it's doing. And I built that just simple addition and it's, it's real time. So it's using ASX data that Google's providing uh, through Google finance. And it's just a real time tracker of, how our portfolio is doing and how the ASX is doing. But of course the ASX data in that doesn't include 
dividends, uh, but the, the, the sure. portfolio data includes dividends. Sorry, I thought you were linking to the ASX data that included dividends. No, on the front page, uh, the ASX data there is just uh, the non-TR ASX data. I haven't been able to find a real-time source out of Google to okay. a code that'll give me the TR data, which is why when I do the monthly summaries at the end of every month, I have to do it manually. I have to go to that site that you found, um, uh, spindices.com, mm -hmm. uh, and download the spreadsheet and then have a look at what the uh, TR data was, the XAOA, um, because I can't, I can't, get an automated feed of that from Google finance for some reason. But uh, Stephen Mab emailed or called me this morning and said, why are these two numbers different? And I explained it to him and we agree that it's confusing. And I'm thinking I should just delete the uh, real time tally off the front page and just do the monthly tally. Would no, you? I think, no, I think the real time tally is good. Leave it with okay. me. I'll try and find a, a way of getting a live feed in there for the awards accumulation index. Right. Um, yeah, but I, I also haven't had time yet, but I want to just go back and reconcile that, uh, uh, what's it called, the transactions tab. That was what I was talking about there in the oh, transactions okay. tab. Uh, yeah. I think if I go to the bottom of the transactions tab, it's showing a closing balance of 18,118. Yeah. And if I go to the dummy portfolio, we're showing current assets of 20,211. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I just need to reconcile why that's different. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was meaning with that email I sent through. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, that's... Uh, I don't know if this is the answer, but, okay, so the 18118 number in the transactions tab is as of the 30th of May. Mm. Uh, the dummy portfolio assets is as of this minute right now. Yeah, it's only a day apart, though. I know there's going to be some difference between the two, but yeah, it shouldn't be that much. Yeah. So look, numbers and spreadsheets obviously aren't my strong suit. I don't have a strong suit. Um, I'm, I always get Chrissy to say, no, well, there's one thing I'm good at in life. The only thing at the age, nearly nearing the age of 50, the only thing that I claim to be good at is I'm, I'm good in bed. That's it. Outside of that, I have no discernible <laughs> skills or talent. That's, that's a self-claim too, by the way, listeners. No, Chrissy backs it up and she did it on a podcast last night. Too. She did a, she was on the bullshit filter with me last night and uh, actually I got her to confirm that on air. So Still a fairly small sample size though, really, isn't it? Well, listen, there are a lot of women who could, I could bring on to back that up, Tony, but it would probably get me in a lot of trouble. All right, I'll take trouble your word for it. I don't, yeah, well, you don't have to. It doesn't matter. <laughs> All I'm saying is I don't claim to be good at anything. <laughs> spreadsheets is uh, certainly one of those. Well, I had to build a dummy portfolio so I could validate my returns. You've got to do something more than just get your wife on to say you're good and bad. <laughs> you didn't have to do that. I said people can either believe you or believe me and you or not. I don't really care. True. If people don't believe you and don't want to listen, that's fine. No one's holding a gun to their hands. Mm. I mean, go get your advice from somewhere else. Mm. All right. Well, I'll wait right. until you uh, have a chance. To yeah, sorry. As you said, I've been busy last week with the with the download spreadsheet, so I haven't had a chance to reconcile a dummy portfolio, but I will. 
Um, but hey, just second, looking at it, we're 0.28% hmm. from break even. Well, yeah, but not if we go to the monthly summaries. Monthly summaries, um, we're negative 8%. Okay. And the XAOA is negative 6.6. We're negative 7.57, negative 6.6. So obviously those things don't tally for some reason. So yeah, I've done okay. something wrong, probably in multiple places. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll go through and reconcile it. No problems. We've got, like, there's a lot of smart spreadsheet people out there. I should get Daryl W. Daryl yeah, or yeah. anyone who's really, really good at spreadsheets um, and can be bothered. Um, if you can't, that's fine. I understand it. But uh, if anyone wants to take a look at that and figure out where I've gone wrong, that would be, <laughs> be much appreciated. I wanted to talk to you, Tony, about the process of how to work out what to buy when I sell something. So uh, a week or two ago, um, I decided to sell Zim when their shares started to tank again after we found out about the, um, the uh, audit. Um, of course, once I sold the shares, the price went back up, uh, <laughs> as you would expect. Uh, <laughs> and I had to figure out what to buy. And even though I feel like I know this, um, I, I kind of felt a little bit like a deer in the headlights uh, at the at, at, in the moment. I was like, okay, well, uh, I, I can run my filter in Stock Doctor, get my list, throw it into my checklist, do the rest of the analysis on it, figure out what's got the highest QAV score, and buy that. Mm -hmm. But then I have your watch list where you've already done a lot of this. Mm -hmm. So should I be running my own export or should I be going to the watch list? And then when I went to the watch list, some of the, the, the stock, I think that had the highest um, QAV score at the time you had done the analysis a few weeks previously, it turned out to be the reject shop TRS and the, the share price had gone up by 25% since you did your analysis in the previous two weeks. And I was like, well, I better run it again. I did. Mm. It still had a pretty good QAV score. So I ended up buying TRS. I, I warned Eddie uh, on, on, <laughs> on the QAV Facebook group so he could dump it immediately um, because it had the curse of Cameron associated with it. Fortunately, it's done okay since then. But I, I, yeah, I didn't know what should what what should I do in these situations, Tony? Yeah, definitely run an up to date checklist for the reason you you just uh, said that uh, the watch list I'm posting could be weeks out of date, so the prices will have changed at least, if not some of the scoring or the three point trend line. So yeah, definitely run a more up to date watch list. That's what I do. I mean, when I post case, the watch the list, it's basically after I've had a reason to run it again. So what's the point of a watch list if? Um if I have to run a new analysis every time anyway? Well, it's the output of, of running the analysis. It's the ranking. Right. Okay. So, yeah. But so it has to be updated every time. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That would that would be the like the user interface of doing a uh, another ranking. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I did go back to scratch and run my own. Um, but I noticed in that the, the, the filters that I had set up at the time only gave me like six companies. Okay. Um, so since then I've changed my filters cause you sent an email, I think to Angela last week mm -hmm. with your current filters. And I, 
I posted those uh, on your, in your journal and I, and I uh, updated those in the Bible um, and I updated my own stock doctor with those as well. And when I run it now, I get a much bigger list, but oh, uh, at the time, that's what I had. Okay. Yeah. So what I'm, I'm just, I've just uh, made a couple more changes to that filter and to the spreadsheets. And I'm just uh, in the process of, oh, I've been checking it over the last few days and it reconciles back to the watch list that I had before I made those changes. So I think it's okay. So what I'm going to do is just send you a copy of the filters and a copy of the spreadsheet and we'll go with that and, and some instructions on how to run it. So what I'm trying to do is to have a spreadsheet process that automates as much as possible. So I think right. there's still about half a dozen half a dozen columns we have to check manually, like increasing equity and record PE and things like that, and the ones right. from share analysis. But uh, but the rest I think can can crunch through manually. Oh, sorry, automatically on the spreadsheet. Great. Yeah, well, that's and great. I appreciate your work on that. And then produce a watch list at the end. By the way, just this is for Eddie. Uh, Reject Shop is up eighteen percent since I bought it last week, hey. Eddie. So booyah! The curse of Cameron. <laughs> the curse of QAV is broken, Eddie. Well, just for Cameron. There you go. Oh, that's good. Feel better now. Well done. Yeah. My 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 personal portfolio is actually, you know, in positive territory uh, after Zim, <laughs> <laughs> which is good. <laughs> Zim went splat. Yes, it did. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, question time. Angela, she says, send me an email. Hi, Cam, just read your blog for today, which would have been the TK Journal. I'm trying to pull up a similar list through SD filter to Tony. Oh, this is okay. This is her email where you ended up sending you the filter. So yeah. her question was trying to pull up, pull up a similar list through the Stock Doctor filters as Tony's. And she was asking about the stuff that uh, we added, you added recently as a result of Stephen Mab's suggestions, the SD Max price change on five over five years, price change over six months, and just trying to work out how you were using those. Can you talk us through that a little bit again? Yeah, so the, the filters that we're downloading are, as you said, SD Max, uh, price change over five years and price change over six months. And I'm in Stock Doctor, I'm filtering for those price changes to be greater than zero. But then I'm manipulating that data once it gets into Excel. So I run the filter, I export that data into Excel. I think it's, you save it as a CSV file first and then jump into Excel and open that file and it'll format it all for you. But then it's a, there's, there's a series of nested if statements to, to check it. So what I'm trying to look for is if it's SD Max bullish or there's been positive price change for five years and six months. And to throw in a, to throw in a bit of a, a wild card curve in that I'm also checking for price change over five years as being blank because some of the companies we're interested in haven't been listed for more than five years. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So there's kind of three or four different nested ifs and uh, if ors or if ands in that. And uh, what are you doing then with the results of that? Is it replacing your visual sentiment analysis it's or is not? It just... So what I'm doing is that's, that's my starting list. So that's, that's a really good place to start because uh, usually I'd say about 80% of those are, are also an uptrend. If you look at them using the, the ruler and the, and the graph. Mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes they're not. There's a couple which are still lingering around there, like the Fonterra, Frontera 
uh, shareholders fund, which isn't, and Ingham's chicken, which isn't. So I don't know why they're getting through that filter, but but they must have had you know positive price change maybe, or they've had recent sentiment changes in Stock Doctor, which SD Max is doing it over a much shorter time period than we use. I think it's two-year weekly, whereas we're using five-year monthly. So except for those two cases, all of the other ones that come through that, that filtering process are also in an uptrend according to our, our normal holder ruler over the graph type calculation or right. using the, the calculator I put up onto, onto the, the website as well, the three-point trend line number generator. Uh, so I use that as a starting point. And what I've been, what I've been, and that gives us a good portfolio. There's probably about 10 or 12 stocks in that just alone now. <clears throat> but what I've also been doing is I'm still going through for the, the stocks that come out of my filter with a price to cash flow of less than seven and just checking them manually as well. But that's a, that's a much longer process because there's a couple of hundred on that list at the moment. A couple of hundred? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, normally it's like about 50 stocks, but uh, because yeah. of all the volatility and the, the, the crash, the virus crash, there's a lot more on that list now. Mm. <laughs> Speaking of crashing, how about America right now? <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's terrible what's happened with the um, Black Lives Matter. Well, it's not terrible what's happening with their movement. Their, their movement's strong, but what happened with, uh, is it Jeff Floyd? George Floyd. George Floyd, thank yeah. you, Floyd, sorry. Yeah, yeah. that's, and, and, you know, it's, I'd probably like to talk to David Market about it, Markham about it and people like that, because it, this, I think it's this whole idea of American exceptionalism, which just keeps so many people with their head in the ground, even though the place is burning. Anyway, this, that's not for this show. Let's move okay. on, talk about investing stuff yep um (laughs) here's one from john john m hi cam how are you i'm good thanks john m could you please pass a query to tony yes i can following the interview with nicholas gruen i concluded that the monetary stimulus is increasing asset prices but not significantly stimulating the trade trading economy consumables in brackets. So when the fiscal stimulus of JobKeeper, et cetera, stops, the trading economy, consumables, will fall to a lower level than it is now. This does not appear to be reflected in stock valuations. Please, could I know Tony's thoughts? Thanks. Kind regards, John. What are your Mm. thoughts, Tony? No, I think John's pretty much on the money. I think the only other thing I'd add is that I think that the what he calls the consumables, the trading economy, will be held up by low interest rates as well. So not just JobKeeper and, and JobSeeker. That, that helps, obviously, but it feels like now the economy is getting back to work. There's a bit of argy-bargy about when borders should open and things like that, but certainly pubs and clubs and, and events and things are starting to come back. So the economy feels like it's, it's coming back. So JobKeeper and JobSeeker may not be required longer term. Uh, I, I think there'll be a surprise when some of the, you know, the the but well, when the federal budget comes out and we see the impact of the debt on the budget, especially if they try and, you know, c- uh, cut costs in other areas to pay that debt off quickly or to pay it off uh, just as usual, I guess. Uh, so that'll be an issue. I think there'll be a another sort of um, wake up moment when we get the company figures coming through in in August. But I think generally the share market's fairly sunny and optimistic at the moment that COVID-19 wasn't as bad as we had feared and that we're coming through it. But having said all that, this is just all forecasting forecasting and prognostication by me again, which isn't worth a 
hill of beans. And uh, my, my, my real answer to, to John's question is just apply the process, just apply the QAB process and, mm. and, and try not and try to be ambivalent towards what the forecast is. As for the economy, from recollection, when we had uh, our good good friend Alan Kohler on, uh, however long ago that was, uh, well before COVID, our economy wasn't doing great even no. before this. That's right. If you looked at the numbers, um, it was sluggish and had been yeah. for quite some time. So getting back to where it was isn't necessarily a great thing anyway. And if it's, and, and if it is going to be worse than what it was, uh, yeah, I don't know what that means, but um, for everything, but again, I guess the numbers that we look at will reflect analysts thinking and, you know, the company's profitability and that kind of stuff anyway. Yeah, it will. And Alan's Alan Kohler was right. I mean, our economy was, was, wasn't that great, but I think, I think that's why interest rates are so important. Uh, the low, low interest rates, and if we do enter into quantitative easing, like some of the other countries have, that'll be another support for the economy, I guess, or for assets at least. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's almost uh, like we're going through the looking glass, and that's you know why it's been interesting having people like uh, Nicholas Gruen on, because we can talk to them about modern uh, monetary theory and, and the role the Reserve Bank is playing in all this and what it means going forward. And it's, I think it is a bit of a, sea, a central plank to uh, the economy and, and, and to our investing because it does, to me, feel like share markets are being held up almost in thin air by, by low interest rates. But, mm. but it is what it is. And, and I, I can't help feeling that we're a bit like Japan was in, you know, 20 years ago as it started to do all this kind of thing uh, with it had very high asset prices and lowered interest rates and it's still we're you know still in that situation 20 years later uh, although the share market's done okay over there over that period so long-winded answer but I think it's we need to keep applying our process and, and try and just be a bit agnostic to what the economy is doing in some respects yeah all right. Thank you. Thanks, John. Here's one from Dave B. Hey, all, especially those interested in RMS, hot on the heels of AQC merger. Here's info on another takeover. Things have been running pretty hot with RMS lately. What's RMS, Rand? Uh, Remelius Resources. Oh, mine. Yes. Yeah, it's the What's going on there? Oh, just cursorily, yeah. It's it's, um, it's taken over a, a company. I'm just trying to find what it's called. Spectrum, is it? Spectrum Mining? Uh, yeah. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm just looking it up. Uh, Spectrum Metals. So it's just taken over a company called Spectrum Metals. Uh, so, so just let me step back a bit. So with all these, particularly the mining companies, we can go to their alerts in Stock Doctor and see if there's been anything unusual happening, which I did after receiving uh, your note about this question. And uh, I went to the quarterly activities report for Amelius. And the thing about uh, mining companies is they, they need to report quarterly activity statements. Um, so more, they're, more frequently in their, they're more frequent in their reporting than the rest of the ASX, which does six monthly. Uh, perhaps because they're so uh, volatile and they have lots of information coming out, which is uh, uh, of interest to shareholders around new 
you know, new veins that they've discovered in their, in their exploration activities and, and things like that. And what the price is of gold at the moment, all those kinds of things have a, have a bearing on, on mining companies, particularly gold mining companies, and they can change quickly. So they put out quarterly reports. And that's where I found out about the Spectrum takeover. Uh, but it seems like it's been a good quarterly report for, for Romilius anyway. And uh, I'm just looking at the highlights here. Uh, they have cash and gold as at 31st of March 2020 of 125.4 million Australian versus uh, December 19 quarter of 87.7 million. So quite a large increase quarter on mm. quarter, which is perhaps probably more responsible for the increase in the share price than the Spectrum Metals takeover. But, but obviously people are viewing that takeover uh, favorably and it's adding uh, the quarterly report goes on to say it's adding it will add to their their gold reserves and sales going forward the other interesting thing i wanted to talk about was uh certainly Romilius has been doing well but if we look at spectrum metals and i'm just going to call it up if i can spx so i'm in stock doctor looking at it oftentimes with the takeover it's the company being taken over that has the price spike and if I look at the share graph for Spectrum Metals, it's gone from 0.004 cents in February of last year to 19 cents today. Right. So that's a huge increase in its share price. Yeah. And that, that graph is almost vertical. Um, and that's a common thing which people might want to just file away for the future is it's, it's really good owning shares in the company that's, that's being taken over because the share price increases a lot more than the company that's taking them over. Yeah. 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 So Remilius is doing well. So we've got that in the dummy portfolio. What does this mean for us? Nothing. It, it may Nothing. go, it may just keep going up or yep. it may go down. We just keep watching it. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I think I'll just have a look at the share price graph for Remilius, but uh, I would say that it's got a pretty low three point sell point. Yeah. At the moment, that sell point would be around. 50 cents and it's now a dollar 75. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll probably end up being long-term shareholders in this company. Terrific. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Dave. Here's one from Eddie. Uh, I'm scratching my hair out trying to understand figures and QAV score surrounding gear, which has crossed my buy signal. I'm guessing something to do with the geared nature of the fund is exaggerating the figures, but out of my league, hoping you can illuminate me with some St. Anthony wisdom on this one. <laughs> Not only did you illuminate, you went and said, let's add it to the portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. I started buying it myself on Friday. And uh, the first thing to note is, well, actually the first thing that happened was it wasn't part of the watch list in the past because in my stock doctor filter, I, I didn't have the unclassified box ticked. I think I sent you through a screenshot of that cam, which I think you may have shared. Yeah. But um, yeah, on the right hand side, so you put all your filters in, but on the right hand side, you have the ability to, to then apply or not apply that filter to various sections like mining or real estate or whatever in the market. But there was also one section called unclassifieds, which I didn't tick. Um, and it looks like that the ETFs were in that unclassified section. So now I've ticked that box. We're getting to look at these um, ETFs. So exchange traded funds. So basically it's a managed fund, which, but it's listed on the share market rather than being uh, bought and sold privately off market. Mm -hmm. uh, and this one, first of all, the things to note are it doesn't have a rating in Stock Doctor for health. 
And I'm not really sure why they do that. I think because it's a, an ETF, it might affect them. But um, as far as I'm concerned, it, it does have all the other qualities of any other listed company. So we can go and look at all its, uh, its P&L and its balance sheet and the rest of it and, and make our own assumptions. So I'm not sure why Stock Doctor don't do it, but they don't. Uh, so that's, that's an issue, but it didn't affect the scoring. It still scored well. But the, the thing I want to highlight is that this is a geared share fund. And if I look at the uh, net debt to equity in Stock Doctor for it, so I'm in financial metrics on the first page, the first tab of that financial statement, sorry, first tab is financial metrics. And net debt to equity as of December 19 was 120%. So basically the, the equity in these kinds of companies are the underlying shares. Uh, and what it's saying is that it's borrowing that amount again and a bit more uh, to, to, to goose up the returns of the portfolio. And where if you look be, at... Where sorry? would it be borrowing that kind of money from? Any idea? Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? It's, I, I tried to find that out before the show, but I haven't been able to yet. But it's either, it's either having some kind of margin loan facility, um, which introduces its own risk because it could be, it could be called out uh, and, and have to sell shares before they recover. Um, or it's, it's issued some kind of bond. Um, so I'm not sure how it's raising that debt at the moment. Mm-hmm. But certainly a geared fund does have a lot more risk in it than an ungeared fund. But, mm-hmm. it, but by the same token, it gets better returns. And if I look at the, uh, if I look at the, the share graph for gear, so for example, calendar year 2019, it was up more than 50%. But then since the, well, the first quarter of this year, it's dropped from $28.59 down as low as $12.72, which is the flip side of that high gearing. So it's going to do really well in up times and do really poorly in down times. So I'm buying it, but I'm going to have to watch it pretty closely. And, and if it starts to turn down, then I'll be selling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you just treat it like anything else then? Though. I do, yeah, exactly. Mm. Well, that's it for our free episode this week. If you're brand new, uh, you might want to know that we have a free episode and a premium episode each week. Premium episode usually goes for another half an hour to an hour. I think today's was about 35, 40 minutes extra. Tony answering more questions. Uh, It's for our hardcore investors, people that are serious about their investing, want to get as much out of this as they can. And if you want to check out our premium episodes, go up to qavpodcast.com.au, sign up for the 14-day free trial. Also, you get access to our Getting Started guide. You can download the Tony's checklist. You can download our watch list and our dummy portfolio. You can uh, email us questions. You get to participate in our live events, which have been in on Zoom during isolation. But starting again in June, we're going to start doing live events around the country. Basically, you get to come and have dinner with uh, Tony and myself, uh, etc. But if you're not ready to do that, just keep listening to the free episodes. That's fine. No problems. Also, if you're new, please be aware that you should probably go and start at episode 301, season 301. Listen to 301, 303 and 305. That'll give you Tony's background and the deep dive explanation of his methodology, the checklist, etc. and how it works. If you haven't heard those already, worth listening to those. And also be aware if you're new that we're not financial advisors, so please don't take anything you hear on the podcast as financial advice. We don't know you or your situation. This is just Tony talking about how he manages his investing. It's one guy's opinion. If you need financial advice, go see a financial advisor. 
with that, uh, stay safe. Have a great week. We'll be back actually later this week with the interview with Stephen Main, who's coming on as a guest. And then we'll be back with more question and answer stuff next week. Take care. Yeah.